Thank you so much for that introduction. My name is Jacob Nidig, live here with my co-host, Zach Zafrin, for your weekly rendition of the Sports Zoo, KZSU 90.1 FM, broadcasting live in studio. What a time for sports on the farm. It feels like so much is happening. Steph Curry's on campus. The baseball and softball teams are having their home openers. We had a gymnastics meet this past weekend. There is so much to cover and so little time. But before we jump in, putting you on the spot, Zach, what are you most excited for this upcoming week in the sports world? Baseball home opener in just a couple hours. Got a shout out, Connor, and I believe Evan are going to be on the call three hours from now. Definitely encourage you all to tune in. And of course, no better matchup than a Stanford versus Cal. In um, baseball, an exciting team to watch. Uh, started out the year number three in the country. I think they might even be up to number two right now. So it's going to be a fun way to kick off the week, that's for sure. No, absolutely. And a huge shout out to our fellow sports broadcasters here at KZSU. Connor putting on an absolute masterclass of how to handle a weekend series against Cal State Fullerton. They'll be broadcasting many, many games throughout this year. They're live today. They've got Rice home this weekend. So definitely tune into that. And, you know, what a great jumping off point, if not to start talking about the baseball team, a team that really came in with some of the highest hopes after back-to-back World Series appearances. We haven't talked about them a whole lot with all the craziness happening on the hardwood. But, you know, this is a team that is bringing back so much talent. And the preseason award watch list, the polls reflect that. What do you think is is a reasonable set of expectations for this team, Zach. Oh, got to be the College World Series. Got to be the College World Series, and obviously the bar is high, but when you do it back-to-back years and you bring back the talent that you do have, um, why not shoot for the stars? I mean, the loss of Brock Jones certainly hurts, but, you know, like we saw this weekend, Brayden Montgomery is a, dare I say, generational talent. Yeah, you know, with the two-way Ability that he has, definitely not not out of the ordinary to say that. And so, you know, obviously they want to play in Omaha come that time. Uh, but it's a long road ahead. I mean, 60 games before we get to that point. Um, baseball, it's it's a grind. It's, it's going to get these players through some wear and tear. Uh, if you want to play there, though, it's going to be one game at a time, series by series. Um, Good thing that they kind of rebounded from a rocky start this weekend and and took care of business on the back half of the series. No, absolutely. And these early series and really each game, you know, it's seemingly impossible to figure out what to place value in and what not to. I mean, you lose 8-1, you come back, you're losing for a majority of the other two games, especially on Sunday, and then you pull off a few crazy innings and win an extra time or extra innings I should say there is so much to be excited for and yet you definitely want to focus on each and every game what do you think the mindset is of this team regarding you know such a long grueling season and such high expectations um you know like I said I mean if they want to not only play in the college world series but compete uh they have to demonstrate each and every game, kind of a championship aptitude. Um, and if you show up flat against a lesser opponent, if you play down to their level, sure, you could get your way into the World Series with a good resume, uh, but you're not going to be as sharp as you want when you do get to Omaha and are playing against these teams that, you know, are playing in the ACC, in the SEC, those great baseball schools. Um so game by game, just really trying to be your best. It's not you versus the opponent. It's you versus yourself. That is the difference maker. Yeah, and it feels like that's a constant theme for a lot of teams here on the farm. You look at women's basketball, women's volleyball, some of these other programs. It's being the best version of yourself. And with so many returners, you have to hope that this will be the year. Back-to-back appearances, as we've mentioned, who are you looking at to really take that jump from the past two years where we had the talent we made the world series but you were right we didn't really compete we lost and often lost quite badly what do you think changes this year and who has to step up for that to happen the one guy i'm absolutely looking at 
is Drew ba- Drew Bowser. I mean, he already has an incredible resume, but this is his moment to shine. It's his moment to step up. It's his moment to take ownership of the position he is in. I mean, a preseason all-conference selection for Pac-12 and a preseason all-American third team, you know, he has had moments in years past, but I just don't think he has quite been at where everyone knows where he can be that freshman season. Batted 300, um, you know, just a ton of production. And then last year, the batting average slipped, but then an uptick in RBIs, an uptick in home runs. Um, that progression is great to see, and we just hope that it's a continuous trend. And I, I think based on this first series, we're already seeing it. I mean, in just three games, two home runs, five RBIs. It's going to be a fun year for Drew Bowser. No, absolutely. And interestingly enough, you know, he came in, started at third base the last two years, and he's now made the jump over to second base so that way Tommy Troy can come in and play third base, Owen Cobb starting up the middle. It's definitely an infield that, you know, has a lot of people with a lot of experience, but definitely a few people that, don't necessarily have as much experience in the big games in those positions. Owen Cobb, someone that definitely comes to mind, the senior infielder who has come in this year and really made some spectacular plays. He's someone that I think is a big question mark just because of how little he has played compared to some other people on the diamond. But when the moment came up against Cal State Fullerton, he made some absolute web gems and what wonderful plays to kind of start off the season and give him some confidence other than, you know, game on the line, bottom of the ninth, they hit you a, a rocket and you've got to, you know, you can't even think. you just got to lay out, make the catch, and he did just that. His game-saving uh, dive to win game two against Fullerton. Strongly encourage you all to hop on kzsu.stanford.edu backslash show player and listen to Connor's call just truly encapsulates how magnificent of a grab it was. Owen Cobb saving the day um, defensively for sure. But nonetheless, he's making leaps and bounds on the offensive end through three games as well, batting 385, five hits, two RBIs. Um, That is a major jump from someone who had just 37 career games played entering this year as a senior. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, someone that we haven't even touched on that looks like he will be a key contributor is Malcolm Moore. Oh, my gosh. Three home runs in three games. A true freshman just up the road out of Sacramento. Playing arguably one of the most important positions defensively at catcher. He's replacing Cody Huff, who was a multi-year starter here on the farm. And not that we don't all miss Cody Huff and what he did for this team, but... Malcolm Moore has stepped up immediately and made his impact felt in just three games. Yeah, it just seems like a common theme. So many guys stepping up and kind of asserting themselves as legitimate threats in their new roles, whether it's you know a new role on the team as a whole, as uh, Moore has done, or guys that have been around and are finding their place a promising sign, for well, sure. Absolutely, and... We've talked about recruiting so much in so many other sports. More someone that came in extremely highly touted. He was a Max Preps All-American first team, perfect game All-American, you name it. But he was actually the top-ranked catcher, according to Perfect Game, and the number one California prospect. So someone that you know seems to give some recognition, or seemed to have gotten a lot of recognition in his lived up to it thus far kind of speaks to the coaching staff's ability to identify talent and the development obviously is relatively short-lived given he hasn't even been on campus for a full year but coach Esquire one of the best in the business at getting it done in the recruiting pipeline and, and Malcolm Moore seems to be the next person that he's identified and bringing in and can fill a hole right away. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, that's why this team is in the position that they are. 
instant contributors, instant performers, product of recruiting. Um, but as with these jumps that we've seen, certainly the uh, player development is there as well. A key component for a team that wants to be in Omaha when the season comes to an end. Yeah, no, absolutely. And one place that will definitely have to hold up their own in is on the on the mound. Looking at pitchers, you have pitchers that, that also have so much experience. Quinn Matthews being recognized with plenty of preseason awards. Ryan Bruno. And yet the pitching struggled a little bit against Fullerton. Who's someone that you think will, will need to step up their game or that will, will be a heavy, reliable contributor this year, Zach? I mean, looking at the bullpen, certainly Quinn Matthews and Braden Montgomery are the guys that I'm looking at. Um, but guys that I, I definitely want to see just kind of be go-to guys. I want to see Ty Uber make that jump. The sophomore um, only got you know under three innings in action this weekend. But based on what I saw last year, I thought he had so much control uh, and great poise. Similar story with Joey Dixon, a junior. He got uh, one and a half innings of action this weekend. Not the results he was looking for, giving up two runs, but a guy that has been around has shown what he's capable of, and if he can just kind of harness that potential, you know, this is a scary bullpen. No, absolutely, and you have a lot of guys that didn't pitch their best this weekend. I mean, you look at some of the experienced guys. Max Meyer came in, could only get one out. Torin O'Haran also could only get one out. These guys are coming in with very lively arms. Those two didn't get a ton of work, and O'Haran is a freshman. But some of those guys that you did mention, Ty Uber, Joey Dixon, you know, some of those Drew Dowd, those are going to be guys that they're competing for those starting positions. And Quinn Matthews was really the only guaranteed starter, it seemed. But after the way he, he started, he only went five innings, which as a Friday guy, you've got to be looking for, for six plus, seven, eight on the regular. So it seems like a lot of these guys that had some potential last year, we want to make the jump, have a wide open race, and the talent is definitely there, but where people fit into those specific roles is something that as the season goes on, we'll look to examine and analyze a little bit more because there is so much talent, but this weekend didn't necessarily represent that quite well. Yeah, and, and something interesting to know. I mean, other than Matthews, like he said, like you said, kind of the sole contributor who really established himself as as that guy. I mean, for obvious reason, Pac-12 um, preseason pitcher of the year. Um, but the bullpen, otherwise, we saw this last year as well. Matter of fact, I asked Coach David Esker uh, on the tail end of one of the early games. Despite the success some of the guys were having on the mound, he kept rotating in and out. Um, and what he said is, you know, it's early in the season, want to get as many guys, as many reps as possible, kind of get them flowing, give everyone looks. And so definitely subscribing to the earned, not given model, which is, again, a huge pillar of a championship attitude. Um but early on in the season, you know, I don't think he's necessarily so caught up in the wins and losses rather than getting guys in them in action and just kind of seeing who's really capable of what, who can he rely on down the stretch. No, absolutely. Couldn't agree more, Zach. And I think we'll see that over and over again, especially early in the season. A name that comes to mind with that is the are those freshman pitchers, namely Nick Duggan, who is someone that came in relatively highly recruited, a freshman, got the start and quite honestly really was a letdown by any expectation. Last Couldn't get out of the first inning, gave up five runs, all of which were earned. He walked someone, did strike out one, but gave up four hits. He's someone whose career at Stanford is so far from over. He hasn't even pitched a full inning. And so what the coaching staff does behind the scenes with him is going to be extremely crucial to 
the future of the program, not just this year, but for the years to come because his right arm is going to be one that we rely on if later in the future, if not already right now. And so I think bringing him out early, obviously he gets shelled and doesn't make it out of the first inning, but they're going to put him back out there. They're going to coach him up. They're going to make sure that he knows that he has the tools to get it done. And I think that is one of the the best things about these early games is trying to get these guys in, mix them in, in high stress situations, show them that college ball is a little different. And then whenever they do get down, picking them back up even stronger and making sure that they know that there is another game and they will be required to perform at a high level another day. Absolutely. That's that, that's kind of the mindset we've seen in these other high-performing teams on the farm who maybe they slip up you know, on a game here or there, but the next game's a new day. Take care of business. Move on to the next one. No, absolutely. And that next one is today at 6 p.m. at Sunken Diamond. We'll be calling it here on KZSU. If you can't make it here, do not fear. There are plenty of games Coming forward, they've got a three-game series against Rice this weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. couple games in the non-conference against Pacific CSU Bakersfield at home as well. So plenty of baseball to be happening on the farm and to be talked about in the future. But they aren't the only team on the diamond getting it done. How about the softball program, who is a little bit farther into their season, but has also really played quite well in a lot of games they have what appears to be a gym in the circle who put a master class on this past weekend in in Athens Georgia yeah Najari Kennedy what a debut for her as a cardinal looking at her pitching statistics Jacob you want to know her ERA through 22 innings tell me zero Nada. Zilch. How about that? Four wins in four games started. 41 strikeouts in 22 innings. I feel like I could put a video game on rookie mode and still not get those numbers. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. My goodness. And, and and she was awarded accordingly, if I'm not mistaken, picking up two Pac-12 weekly awards not only the pitcher of the week but freshman of the week as well no absolutely and both so well deserved this team you know coming off a postseason last year that really was I think by most stretches of the imagination a bit of a surprise you know making it all the way to the super regionals they upset Alabama in the Tuscaloosa regional came had two really close games against Oregon State that unfortunately they did couldn't pull off but this year picking up on the same foot that they left off on they're 8 and 2 right now in what looks like a Pac-12 conference that's going to be extremely competitive i think they're both one game out of last place and one game out of second place so much talent there but Getting it done now and, you know, the first real test of the year after that initial opening Mark Campbell invitational was this red and black showcase in Georgia. And in those games against Georgia in their home stadium, Sanford got two wins, two absolutely huge wins. Right. And Georgia, number 13 in the country. So those are a pair of quality victories. But Jacob, how much... Do we look into this? Like you said, opened the season with the Mark Campbell Invitational, finished 3-2 and two with a pair of ranked losses, kind of handled by Oklahoma, but they're number one in the country, so that 10-1 to loss, you know, view it as it is. A close 2-4 to four loss against number 16, Duke, but then go to the Red and Black Showcase in Athens, finish 5-0, and oh, but three of which came against Charlotte and St. John's. What do you take away from this weekend, especially considering kind of those stretch of games to open the season? No, absolutely, and and that's the million-dollar question, but I think there's a few different reasons for optimism. The game against Oklahoma, I think you can pretty much throw out the window. That program is 
by far and away the most dominant in really any college sport. I think they they run ruled of they had a run rule victory in the College World Series last year in either the semifinals or the finals. I think the games that you're looking more closely at are probably going to be the game against Duke and that game, those two games, I should say, against Georgia, similar to throwing out the Oklahoma game. I think some of those other games against Liberty, Loyola, Marymount, Charlotte, those are just a different level on the other end of the spectrum than Oklahoma. And when you look at those three games that I just mentioned, Stanford was very competitive in all of them. Stanford scored two runs in the top of the first against Duke. Actually took a 2-0 lead and then ended up giving up four runs over the rest of the game. Obviously, there's reason to be disappointed by that. But I think the fact that that is a competitive game speaks volumes. The fact that Stanford had four scoreless innings against Duke speaks volumes. And then you look at what happened in Georgia and that game was tied after the seventh, after the eighth, the ninth, and Stanford finds a way to scratch across two runs. But 10 innings against Georgia is no small feat. And so I think the fact that in all three of these games, Stanford has been able to play sound defense has been able to pitch very well and has remained confident in what they do best is really reason for optimism for the rest of the season. Absolutely. That pitching, so scary for other teams. Alana Vodder, I mean, just a staple of this Stanford softball program, a huge reason they got to the Super Regional last year. And then obviously, Reagan Krause doing what she does. But Beyond those two entering the season, it was a bit unclear, but the fact that they have Najari Kennedy doing what she's doing, certainly a bright sign. I want to throw a question out of you, as we did with baseball a little bit early. We are just a few games in the season, but I mean, what are the expectations fresh off of a super regional appearance and like we see early on some promising games? Well, what are your predictions? No, absolutely. A great question. I think the expectations are way more widespread among fans about this softball program. I think there's a few different parties. I think it's not out of the question to think that this team could catch fire and make it to the College World Series. Is that a failure Is it a failure of a season if they don't make it? Absolutely not. College softball is extremely competitive, extremely cutthroat, and quite honestly, Stanford just is not known for their softball team. Recruiting is much more difficult to come by, and development is so much more important. But with that, nonetheless, this is a team that if their bats can push across enough runs has the pitching and the defense and some of the things off the field, the leadership, the senior experiences to make a deep run. I think expecting a postseason appearance is is definitely within the normal realm of expectations. And I think from there, figuring out what happens is kind of up in the air. But this is a top 25 ranked team with a pretty heavy core of returning players that have been on the farm for a few years. So I definitely think that postseason softball is in the future for this team. Similar train of thought here. That experience going to come in huge for a softball season that for them last year went more than 60 games deep. That grit and grind, especially as a youngster, could catch up to you. But having those seniors going to be huge for a Cardinal program that you know, I don't know if I'd say the expectation is there, but certainly the hope in, in a in a feasible, realistic manner. No, absolutely. And this is a team that I think the national media is also starting to pick up on because they were most recently ranked 16 in the country, jumping up from number 19. So those wins against Georgia, obviously playing a difference. They're coming in at 8-2. and two. A lot of room for growth, but a lot of reason to be excited nonetheless. Absolutely. 
A uh, another women's sport on the farm, really killing it as they have done all year. Women's basketball getting the job done as usual. Senior night last night, but you know, as we love to do in this weekly talk show, why don't we go ahead and recap kind of their season as a whole? You know, last time we discussed, they were fresh off of that loss against Washington, and then have. Bounced back in a big way with four wins since then. No, absolutely. And what a perfect time to recap the season. They've got two regular season games left coming in at 26-3, and 14-2 in conference. By the time we have our show next week, they'll be gearing up for the Pac-12 tournament and postseason play will have begun. This has been an interesting season in a few different ways. I think the emergence of a few players has been really surprising and yet really necessary for this team. But at the same time, some of these losses, I say some like it's a lot. These three losses, a couple of them came against teams that you wouldn't necessarily expect. And so I think that's been really tough to kind of figure out. As a whole, I think this team is one that has an extremely high set of expectations, the loftiest of lofty. And they've competed and beat nearly every ranked opponent that has come their way, many of which very easily. You know, there was a few stretches in the middle of the season where they gutted out some wins. They had a loss or two. But I think right now this team is one that is playing at a very high level and seems to be coming together with confidence and is finally forming their identity at a quality moment where hopefully they can finish out strong and and head into the postseason. Right, right. We talked about earlier in the season, kind of, they're good, but what is their identity? They lack that. And seemingly coming to fruition at this juncture in which postseason play is on the horizon, so very timely there and isn't it crazy? I mean, twenty six and three, and I feel like we're being critical of them just because the expectation is so high. Um, nonetheless, I mean, th- this stretch of games coming up, like you said, it is it is a it's it's been treacherous. They they played at number seventeen Arizona two Thursdays ago, one eighty four to sixty, bouncing back from that Washington loss, and and like we said. You know, we thought that they'd come out hungry, eager to prove themselves, especially after the stagnant offensive performance. So what they did was they went ahead and had three 20-plus point quarters, definitely proving the doubters wrong. Followed that up, that ranked victory up with a win at Arizona State. I mean, just taking care of business, 96-64. to 64. And then that brought us up to this week, which kind of a rough stretch to end the season. Four straight ranked opponents. But they've been thrillers. No, absolutely. And, I mean... I had to catch myself doing the same thing where we're 26 and 3 and I'm nervous about the postseason. <laughs> this is a top 2 ranked team in the country, I believe by many of the polls or top 5 for sure. And yeah, they're finishing the year 5 of their 6 games are against top 25 ranked opponents, 3 of which are on the road. And this is a team that is headed to the Mountain Schools for two ranked opponents. They just finished senior night. Steph Curry's been at the last two games. (laughs) And, you know, it's, I think, really easy to fall into the expectations and forget just what a magical season it has been, what magical individual performances we've seen on the court. Cam Brink breaking records, Haley Jones doing what Haley Jones does. Hannah Jump becoming a day-in, day-out contributor and constant threat, not just behind the three-point line, but anywhere on the floor. And these games have been so entertaining. A five-point victory against UCLA, a three-point victory against USC. This is what basketball is all about, and this team has really put on a performance that has 
exceeded expectations in a lot of ways, but the way they've done it has also been so fun to watch. Yeah, I, I could not put it better. Maybe my favorite team to watch on the farm right now for all the reasons you just laid out. I mean, they get the job done. They get it done in an entertaining fashion. Um, you know, And that's that's out of being good, but also providing, I mean, high-quality play against high-quality opponents. That win against USC, kind of a, a, a close one. Um, you know, there was a lot of emotion packed into that one, specifically because USC upset them Earlier in the season, on the road, that was an unexpected loss. They were previously unranked. And then USC comes in here and battles them till the end. Stanford scoring just six points in the fourth quarter. But the defense of Cameron Brink really leading them to victory on that one. I mean, she became the all-time Stanford leading blocker. And then they escape with a three-point victory. Yeah. No, absolutely. And... That victory, I think, is definitely some reason to kind of scratch your head. And this offense has been inconsistent at times. But I think that's pretty well established at this point. There are going to be lulls in our offense. We might have to gut out a 50-47 to point victory. They're not all going to be high scoring. And I think... To me, it seems like this team is now way more comfortable playing those type of gritty grind them out possessions where the you might go four or five minutes without scoring and you're going to have to play every possession on the defensive end like it matters because it truly does. I think whenever you play against this high quality of opponents, you kind of have to expect a wide range of games in this team to me looks like they're in a position where they know that their offense isn't always going to be the most dominant, but their defense is what's going to push them and propel them to postseason success, and that I think they've really leaned into, especially later on in the year. Absolutely. It's like like they say, defense wins championships, but what you touched up on, kind of being in those crunch time moments, playing with pressure, that was the big point of concern we expressed on this show after that USC loss because they got down early and that was really the first time they had been playing from behind all year long even in their loss against South Carolina they led for like 33 of the 40 minutes in regulation and so a team that hasn't really been playing from behind demonstrating these last two games that they can compete when the pressure is on they're not afraid uh of these big moments, so especially entering postseason play, a really important thing to have under their belt. No, absolutely. And these regular season games are extremely intense because these teams they're playing for have just as much on the line as Stanford. Utah, who is the final team they play against in the regular season, is fighting for the Pac-12 regular season championship just like Stanford We, I believe, are currently half a game ahead of the Utes who ended up losing some ground in the Pac-12 regular season race to Arizona. Colorado, meanwhile, two games back. I don't know if my standings are completely updated, but nonetheless, they are playing two ranked teams that are very close in the standings and who equally, if not more, want to prove to everyone that the Pac-12 is not just Stanford's conference, but other teams are playing at a high level. And so these two games will be extremely competitive. Their student sections will be extremely loud, and the intensity will be off the charts in these last two games. Yeah, those two teams right on their heels, snipping at them, and going to the mountain schools on the road, not an easy feat. Um, So that will be interesting. I mean, with the Pac-12 regular season, title, you know, I don't want to say on the line, but perhaps at risk. How do you see it playing out? Yeah, you know, I think it's going to depend on where Stanford decides to respond the biggest at. And what I mean by that is there will be a lull. There will be a run by the other team. There will be a couple turnovers or offensive rebounds that don't go Stanford's way. And 
how Stanford decides to respond is going to determine the outcome of these games. The quality of the opponents is too high to just expect a blowout. Now, is that possible with this team? Absolutely. But I think the bigger and more pressing question is whenever we have a bad third quarter or whenever we have a six-minute stretch without a bucket, how do we respond? What do we do? And that is going to set the tone. But I think winning these two games and winning them in convincing fashion is definitely something that I think this team not only can do, but should be seeking to do, especially because of what's happening with some of the other teams around the country, South Carolina, Indiana, UConn, all finishing up their seasons playing very high-quality basketball. And so you just hope that Stanford can do the same, continue to really own their identity and and hone it in these final regular season games before gearing up for the Pac-12 conference, or Pac-12 tournament, I should say. Absolutely. Just kind of want to use it as a... Uh jumping off point and and get that uh, correct first step in the postseason. No, absolutely. And it is so critical because later on in the rest of the year, there are some absolute powerhouse teams. Indiana this week had a ton of momentum. They were actually ESPN's team of the week after going 3-0 and winning by an average of 21 points and getting their first Big Ten regular season title since 1983, Zach. I don't know about you, but that's well before I was born. (laughs) (laughs) But, and that's not even mentioning South Carolina, who obviously this is, you know, the best team in the country. They beat previously unbeaten LSU and... They did have an upset scare, but this is a team that is still undefeated, still coming off a great last season, and still has arguably one of the best players in all of women's college basketball. Yeah, I mean, when you're undefeated, uh, is is there any contest? Especially when you have wins over Stanford and UConn, you know, two schools in the top four. It, it makes sense. So, a lot of high octane programs at, with with a lot of profile in the field um perhaps this is a little too forward thinking as we have not even concluded the regular season but just thinking to the postseason they want to be playing in the final four they want to be playing in the national championship they want to be winning the national championship jacob who are you most scared of for stanford yeah, you know, I I think some of those teams that we've just touched on are definitely teams to be worried about. We have already lost to South Carolina. But I think, you know, a team in the Elite Eight or the Sweet 16, maybe in the round of 32, that shoots the ball particularly well could really be reason for worry for the Cardinal. Obviously, Cameron Brink is a great interior presence she just broke her own record for the third time in her third year she'll be in triple digit blocks this year also has the all-time record she's great inside we've got height we control the paint but with our offensive inconsistencies i think you find a team that can force us to score you know 65 70 75 even a little bit above that is is reason to be concerned and so I'm not putting too much stake on some of those other likely number one seeds. I think we've got to focus on the end of the regular season, continue to play hard on the defensive end, and and make sure we're taking high-quality shots because those games against those high-quality opponents are just going to be absolute heavyweight bouts, but we got to make sure we can can get to those before we uh, start penciling them in. Totally fair, totally fair. Kind of when you think too far ahead, forget what's in front of you luckily I'm not on the basketball team so I don't really (laughs) got to be worrying about that one but uh nonetheless you know a lot of fun action ahead for that women's Stanford team in the coming weeks no absolutely and in the Pac-12 tournament Zach you know obviously the expectation would likely be somewhere around winning the tournament 
given our regular season success, the talent we have, is there a scenario where that doesn't happen? What does that scenario look like? Is there reason to be concerned if that happens? What is a mini preview of the Pac-12 tournament and what Stanford fans that maybe aren't super familiar with Pac-12 women's basketball can expect from uh, Vegas in the in the upcoming weeks? Yeah, I mean, it's March. It's madness. <laughs> Anything can happen. Specifically Pac-12 basketball, though. I mean, five ranked teams in the Pac-12. So beyond the first round, every school Stanford faces is going to be you know, legitimate national powerhouse type threat. Um, and those five schools don't even include, include USC, who has been Stanford and given them a real scare at home. Um, and it doesn't include Washington, who's the other conference uh, victor against Stanford this season. But obviously, when you're looking at the top of the conference, Utah is certainly scary. Um, Stanford put up a really good performance against them at home, but that was based off of a strong offensive start. Colorado and Arizona, similar stories there where the bout's just gone in Stanford's favor. Matchup-wise, not too much of a concern. However, UCLA, an interesting one, because they've shown that they can compete with Stanford for three quarters consistently. They were tied after three quarters when they played down in L.A., and then Stanford just... I think it was a 15-0 run to start that fourth quarter. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they they kind of needed that extra burst. A similar story here last time out. UCLA leading after one, or leading by one after three quarters. Um, and then actually we're up one with a minute and a half to go before big-time plays from Cameron Brink and Haley Jones. Um, so I kind of have UCLA circled as a, oh, geez, if some one thing doesn't go right, that could be a tough one. Otherwise, you know, Sure, Stanford might slip up as they have twice during Pac-12 regular season play, and if that happens, it's anyone's ball game. But you know, it's playoff time. They're an experienced roster with Tara Vanderveer at the helm. I'm not too concerned about that. When you're talking about a real battle, I think UCLA really does put up a fight. Um, the hope is that you know they have their own battles before Stanford has to play them. Perhaps they get bested by Utah. Perhaps they have a tough battle with Arizona, um, but Stanford needs to continue that trend of take care of business, and as we talked about with some of the earlier teams on the show, have that battle of you versus you, not you versus anyone else. No, absolutely couldn't have said it better myself for those of you fans out there that will be free this Thursday or Saturday. And for those of you fans who aren't free now, clear your calendars to huge games at Colorado on February 23rd. That is two days from now. And finally, closing the year with a trip over to Salt Lake City playing against the Utes for what will likely be the regular season championship on the line. Hugely important games. Go check them out either on air or online, they'll be somewhere because this team is poised for a postseason run that you will absolutely want to be a part of. A team that, you know, maybe isn't as poised for that run, but equally exciting to talk about. The men's basketball team, what's been going on over with this team, Zach? I I just feel crazy because when they were winning, I was their biggest doubter and they're fresh off of two losses, but I don't know if I've been higher on them all season long until right now. Um, they came off that historic upset win over number four Arizona that we talked so in depth about last episode. If you haven't heard that, go ahead and check it out. Our podcast available on all the major platforms. Uh, nonetheless, UCLA and USC this past week, UCLA number four in the country, and it was the Cardinal on top for much of the game. I'll tell you what, I did not expect that. Um, it, it it ultimately boiled down to kind of who can close out down the stretch. Obviously, UCLA is one of those teams playing for a national championship, so they're going to be more better. They're going to be better refined in that capacity, but I love the fight 
that Stanford put up. I love the performances that they put up, and they, they just kind of did a lot of what we talked about, um, specifically loving the way Michael O'Connell probably heard exactly what you said, Jacob, and responded <laughs> with his play on the court, Am I, you know? No, absolutely, and that game against UCLA, just so close, and yet so far, the final score not nearly as close as that game was we drop it 73-64. We were up, as Zach mentioned, by four at halftime. And, you know, UCLA made their run at the beginning of the second half. They ended up erasing our lead, taking their own lead. I think it maybe got up to like five, ten points, and yet we fought back, erased their lead, took ours back. But then you get down the stretch... And we couldn't find a way to get it done. It felt like that game, the way the ball was bouncing on some of those rebounds, just wasn't going our way the same way against Arizona it was when we were getting offensive rebounds left and right in crunch time. It felt like we were giving them up instead of getting them against UCLA. Yeah, and that turning point kind of with seven and a half minutes to go in the fourth quarter, we had a four-point lead. 57 to 53, but then UCLA just goes on this huge run, a one point game with three and a half minutes left. Um, but we wouldn't score again until it was too late, until they held a 10 point lead in the final minute. Kind of looking at some of the performances, I, I you know, maybe not eye popping stats, but I really think Harrison Ingram has turned it on, you know. You would love to see higher scoring outputs from a five-star, but I, I, I stand strong in the fact that Harrison Ingram, the appeal of his game is not the scoring. It's that do-it-all kind of Swiss Army knife toolkit, and I think he's absolutely done that. I mean, leading the team in points, lead, or well, rather being among the leaders in points, among the leaders in rebounds, and among the leader in assists. Happy to see that. But then also, Michael Jones coming up big and I think that's where that veteran experience comes into play specifically on the road specifically against these really good teams no absolutely coming in as a transfer you never know how his experience is going to carry over just because it is a new experience but as the year has gone on he's definitely you know played a little bit better each and every game and I think we've really seen that as of late his jump has been really Noteworthy, especially whenever you look at some of the more common metrics that we're judging by stats, rebounds, field goals, shooting percentage, etc. He's someone who, against really high-quality opponents, seems to to play pretty well. He led the team against UCLA. He was 6 of 10. He made three threes. Obviously, someone that is going to be required to score and shoot the ball well, and, and he did really just that. And then you look at against USC, and again, we lose this game by 10, but Michael, or sorry, yeah, Michael Jones, another person that is in the stat line, is all over the game. He's someone that I think, if we want to end the season on a high note, just in the Pac-12 tournament, we'll need to go through him in that game. He ended up having 14 points on five of seven from the field again off the bench he's really been getting it done offensively yeah making a case for Pac-12 sixth man of the year and I, I just think his impact goes even beyond what's going on on the court but that that veteran leadership in the locker room so huge for a team that didn't really make those jumps uh early on that we we're hoping for but perhaps a product of you know his leadership in the locker room so those two losses, Jacob, I mean, what are you taking away? Because obviously there's multiple schools of thought. A loss is a loss, or you could take the road where it's like, hey, those were two really good schools. Stanford put up a fight. What, what are you thinking? What's on your mind after this past week? Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I mean, I similarly am feeling pretty good about the quality of basketball that this team is playing that game against UCLA, it felt like we were in control or definitely deserved to be there for really the entire game. If we could score, you know, 
two or three field goals in the last three minutes, that game is completely different. We might even end up a victory because UCLA hit their free throws and ice the game against USC. Similar story. If we can get two or three field goals in a few different moments, that that 10-point victory could have swung all the way back over. And yet it always reminds me of where this team has not been throughout the rest of the year because this quality of basketball is one that feels great to watch even whenever we're losing and yet where has it been the whole year these last four or maybe even just three games I guess I should say because that game against Colorado that second half was ugly where has it been where has the fire been where has the defensive energy been where has the scoring been why is this team suddenly making a case for itself so late in the season after putting on such questioning experiences and game plays where it just you know left me scratching my head wondering what we were doing and and what was happening so that's a long-winded way of saying it just makes me wonder what this season could have been if we played every game the way we played these last few yeah what could have been on my mind as well but obviously what happened happened and like you said making a case making me wonder right the case obviously for a postseason bid we can go ahead and assume we're not going to get the automatic qualifier through the pac-12 tournament albeit not that i wouldn't be surprised but rather I, I I guess I wouldn't be surprised if Stanford somehow won the Pac-12 tournament because that would be the most Stanford pick after this lackluster performance behind them. But um, what is their case? You know, what do you see really happening for them being, uh, I don't know, NIT bound maybe? Plus, considering, right, we're talking about this high-level performance, but mind you, they've lost four of their last five. But, of course, you know, played some of their best basketball in this stretch. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, sometimes wins and losses don't always tell the full story. I think this is definitely a time when that feels especially true. I haven't looked at some of the advanced analytics, Ken Palm, anything like that. But just the way this team is playing feel seems to have changed a little bit. And I think they're really forcing people to kind of reconsider whether Coach Haas can actually put a product on the floor that that does actually meet the talent in the locker room. And I think that is kind of what they're they're fighting to prove. They're not fighting to prove that that this team deserves an NCAA tournament bid. They're not fighting that this team is even a good team. This team is fighting to show that Coach Haas can actually put a team on the floor who's performance matches its talent and even though yeah they've lost four of their last five I think if you sit down and watch those games there's very few people who would who would argue against the fact that this team is playing at a level that mirrors that of which preseason expectations uh, had them at again with those losses nonetheless the way at which they're playing the way the ball's moving and how they are playing compared to where they should be playing, that gap seems to have closed in my mind. Certainly. That being said, I mean, these committees that make the seeding, do you think they're taking a look at that or at least considering it? I felt like last year, this was a team who finished 516-16, and you could have made the same case, yet they still missed out. Is it going to be a different story this time around? Does the committee perhaps, you know, learn from their, I don't know if I'd call it mistakes, but perhaps... uh you know, situation in previous years? Yeah, you know, it. It that's a question that I think Stanford, unfortunately, is going to be on the wrong end of once again. I think you can't exclude some of those losses in that losing stretch, and you have to value it just as much as you value this losing stretch, but this higher quality losing stretch. <laughs> Best case scenario, you know, we win these last for regular season games and we win another game in the Pac-12 tournament or two, we end up either at 500 or a game below. I I just don't see it happening where we get that NCAA tournament bid 
I don't even think I wouldn't be surprised if we missed the NIT. I don't know the exact cutoffs for that, but the body of work from start to finish is is not good. And sure, it's a lot higher now, and maybe we deserve it to be put in some sort of postseason tournament because we have that potential. But that the body of work is is very low quality, and I think a lot of these there's a lot of deserving teams in other places in the country. Don't get me wrong, though. I would absolutely love Stanford to be there, and I think a win against a, a top-five-ranked team shows that there is some merit to to us getting in the postseason just because we can play high-quality basketball at specific times just day in and day out. It seems like that has been lacking throughout the season, and I think these committees will look at an entire body of work, not just what's happened in the last five to ten games. Certainly. I think that is the main appeal this is a team that has demonstrated that they're capable of huge upsets which is the upsell in the time of march madness in postseason play in college basketball playoffs um but all the bracketology all the nit predictions i might i mention ncaa i guess yeah at stanford's gone stanford's yeah. not present in, and not even the nit ones not in the seating not not included in the first four out or the next four out for these nit um you know brackets so as of now things looking bleak um of course i guess that leaves one avenue for them to make a tournament how outrageous is a Pac-12 tournament championship, or along those lines, how do you see them faring in the tournament? Yeah, no, it's it's for those of you who can't tell, I'm laughing in the <laughs> studio right now because it would be completely on brand for Stanford to win out in the Pac-12 tournament, get an auto bid, and yet at the same time, I think that could be equally as likely as a first-round exit where we lose by 15 I think depends on who we play, depends on how these last four games go. My hopes are quite low. I don't know where yours are at, Zach, but mine are personally quite low. Yeah, the the seeding in the first round will be tough because with how we've kind of fared this year, we'll be playing a tough team to start with. Um, We get past the first round. I would love to, you know, I think a second round appearance is in the cards. Of course, that's when things get interesting. Can they make that jump that we've talked about? Um you know, rationale says no, but who knows? Yep. It is, after all, March when madness does happen. We've got just a few minutes left here on KZSU 90.1 FM, the Sports Zoo. We're going to do a quick around the farm check in with some of our other teams that we don't always talk about. This episode will be uploaded on Apple Music and Spotify, starting out with Golfer of the Week. Rose Zhang, Pac-12 Women's Golfer of the Week, today after her fourth straight victory of the season. She has maintained an absolute dominant performance at every single match after winning the individual NCAA championship. She is doing great things on the greens everywhere she goes. Unreal. Won every Pac-12 monthly and weekly honor so far this season. Um, She's won eight different events already tied for fifth most in Pac-12 history and just one shy of Stanford's program record uh, and she's just a sophomore getting started in the spring season so super exciting beyond that another mainstay in Pac-12 awards Jack Ryan the sophomore diver winning Pac-12 diver of the week um, his fourth diver of the year award already yeah no absolutely and he is someone that seems to be on a great pace to become the next Stanford Aquatic Superstar. Last but certainly not least, the number 7 ranked Stanford Sands Volleyball team begins their 2023 season this Saturday. They'll be playing in Hawaii and is a team that is really fun to bring your family out to, watch some sand volleyball. That is a high-quality team just like most seem to be with that our hour has concluded it's been an absolute pleasure as always spring sports are getting underway winter sports are wrapping up postseason play is just getting started 
My name has been Jacob Nidig, your co-host of the Sports Zoo, along with Zach Zafrin. will be uploaded to Spotify and Apple Music in the next 24 hours or so. Be sure to tune in to KZSU for all your listening needs and Stanford sports broadcasting. We'll see you next week, same time. Wear red, stay late, be loud.